Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA Podcast presented by Talk Producer. I'm Paul Neefe, your host. And today we're actually going to do a special podcast dealing with Social Security. Um, I think most farmers tend to view Social Security as a tax and not an investment. And I think after, you know, probably this podcast, maybe you'll change your mind a little bit and view Social Security as can be a fairly good investment. Uh, like I said, too many farmers view Social Security as a tax, especially younger farmers that have maybe three or four kids. Uh, if they make $100,000 from farming and let's say they have the spouse just lives at home and, and takes care of the kids, um, their Social Security tax can be about $15,000, whereas their income tax might be a couple thousand dollars. So they just sort of view it as a necessary evil. And in my opinion, up to a certain amount, uh, we should view it as an investment. Uh, the goal is not to pay in as much Social Security tax as you can. The goal is to try to maximize our return on investment while minimizing our related cost. And, and we'll go through some of the rates of returns on, on these investments. And I think you'll find that they're actually a pretty good rate of return. Might even be a better, better rate of return than you can get from farming. But first, let's just quickly go through how benefits are calculated. Uh, you take your highest 35 years of indexed earnings, and then you divide by 420 to arrive at what we call our average index monthly earnings, or AMI. And the interesting thing about index earnings is earnings that you generate at the beginning of your career with inflation are much lower than your earnings in today's numbers, but the index earnings go back and inflate those earnings that you might have earned 35 years ago. And we'll just go through here a couple examples. And then once you arrive at your AMI, we then have to apply what we call bin points. There are two bin points. Uh, earnings up to the first bin point are valued much higher than the second bin point, and then even higher than the third bin point. And we'll review that here in a minute. And then once you uh, apply those factors, you then arrive at your monthly benefit. And um, if you have a spouse at home, like in my case, uh, my my wife took care of our four boys, took care of me, and uh, via that, she never really got paid for working. Believe me, she worked. She might have been worked harder than me. Um, matter of fact, uh, we were teasingly talking about getting divorced one time, and she said, you know, if I'm really mean to you, Paul, I'll give you the four boys, and she's correct. I would have lasted about two weeks before they uh, ha would have to take me away. But uh, um, but with spousal benefits, my spouse, in, in my case, is going to get bumped up to 50% of my benefit. So that's an extra acceleration of the benefit, which actually creates an additional rate of return that's pretty good. Now, all of your earnings get indexed until you reach age 60. There's a, what's called a National Average Wage Index from 1951 uh, through to this year. And uh, as an example, I'll just, uh, well, we'll cover that here in a second. The earnings that we report for Social Security purposes are the lesser of your actual earnings or what's called the wage base. Now, the wage base for this year is 160200 I think most people have heard the Social Security has a cost of living index for this year. Well, technically it was for last year, but gets applied this year. 
the cost of living index was 8.7%. However, the wage index was even higher at 8.9%. So if we take the old 2022 wage base of $147,000, then we times it by 1.089, we get like $160,080, but rounded up to 160,200 because the 1.089, there's a little bit, there's like 0.1 after that or whatever it might be. Um, so the wage inflation has almost always been higher than the cost of living inflation. So you're really getting that extra benefit from the fact that wages have gone up greater than inflation since 1951. And there's a table, you know, you can't see it on here, but uh, for example, the average wages in 1951 is $2,799.16. And in 2021, the average wage was 60575 What that means is if you earn $2,799 in 1951, it's the equivalent of 60575 Now, most of us weren't earning wages in 1951, but let's go to 2000. In 2000, the average wage was $32,155. That's the equivalent of 60575 So, in the last 23 years, wages have about doubled. Um, now, inflation is probably maybe hasn't doubled during that time period. And then what are the bin points? Because so, those are key numbers. They get inflated every year based on, on wage inflation. So right now, for this year, the first bin point is at $1,115. That is valued at 90% or $1,003.50. And then from 1,115 up to $6,721, it's valued at 32%. And then everything above all the AME average index monthly earnings over that 6721 are valued at 15%. So you can see that first approximately $1,100 of earnings has the most value. It's valued at 90%, which is about three times better than the next spin point. And then finally, it's six times better than the last spin point. So from purely an economic standpoint, we would like to only report the equivalent of $1,115 of earnings each year. However, that only equates to about $1,000 of retirement income, and most farmers can't live on that. Um, and so I, I'm a firm proponent of trying to go in up to that second bend point, maybe not all the way up, but I think if you report, let's say, equivalent of today's dollars of about $50,000 of Social Security earnings, that's going to generate, well, let's say about $2,500 of uh, retirement earnings for you. And then if your spouse doesn't work outside the home, maybe another $1,500 of earnings, uh, et cetera. So I, I think that's the one way of looking at it. I certainly wouldn't want to go over the second bin point. Now, this is all contingent on the fact that probably your spouse is not generating much in the way of earnings. If you have a high income spouse, you know, a spouse that's working off the farm, maybe they're a nurse or whatever and generating $150,000 of earnings, then we want to really minimize your, um, your benefits, so to speak. We don't want to pay much in because we're really not going to get much value because you're going to get bumped up to half of your spouses. So this is really 
designed for those farmers where the spouse has little or no earnings as far as maximizing it. If, if that spouse is never going to generate more than half of yours, uh, then this still makes sense. And we'll go through the rate of turn, returns and you'll understand why. So let's just go through a couple benefit examples. Susan's a farmer in Iowa. The total of her 35 highest years of adjusted earnings are 2,457,420. When we divide this by 420, we get $5,851. Again, that first 1,115 is multiplied 90% equals $1,003.50. The next 4736 is multiplied by 32%, that equals 15.15.52. Total of those two amounts is $2,519.02. And your monthly benefit's gonna be rounded down to the nearest 10 cents, which is exactly $2,519. And that's determined once Susan reaches age 62. And then every year there's an inflation component that's applied to it, even though she's not collecting Social Security until she might wait all the way to age 70. But this primary insurance amount, what we call the PIA, is determined once you hit 62, and then it's adjusted every year. It can never go down. It can only go up or stay the same. Now, I mentioned full retirement age. That's an important concept because at your full retirement age, that's when they determine your primary insurance amount. If you retire before that full retirement age, you're going to have a reduction in benefits. So what is your full retirement age? For most people right now that are retiring, it's age 62. However, it's starting to be ramped up here. If you're born after 1942 and before 1955, it is age 66. If you're born in 55, it's 66 in two months, 56, 66 in two and four months, and so on until 1960. So if you're born in 1960 or after that date, then it is age 67. And most of my examples here, we're going to assume full retirement age is age 67. So let's take a look at a quick example of a reduced benefit. Jerome turns age 62 in 2023 and is eligible to start receiving retirement benefits. He decides to wait until he reaches age 64. His full retirement age benefit is 1650 but he only can collect 80% of this amount or $1,320. So there's a reduction and there's a chart that Social Security has showing the reduction. And again, for people born in 1960 or later, if you want to start collecting at age 62, you're gonna have a full 30% reduction and your spouse will have a 35% reduction if he or she starts at age 62 and you do it at the same time. So there's definitely an incentive, especially if you come from a family where they tend to live into 80s and 90s and even 100 or more. Um, the later you delay collecting Social Security, the better off you will be, at least purely from an economic standpoint. Now, why is age 70 important? Well, for every month you delay taking retirement after your full retirement age, annualized, you get an 8% bump in pay. Now it's a simple compounding, it's not regular compounding. So every month that you wait, because you don't have to wait a full year, but every month you wait, it's like two thirds of 1% increase in pay. 
So if your full retirement age is 66, then you get an extra 32% at age 70. If you're 67 is your full retirement age, then you get an extra 24% at age 70. And there is no, um, there's no incentive, there's no payoff to waiting past age 70. Everybody should, if they're at 71, you just lost a year's worth of benefits uh, by delaying. Now, the other benefit is the survivor gets the greater of the two benefits. So let's say your benefit is $3,000 and your spouse's benefit is $1,000. It could be that low because um, the automatic bump to 50% isn't always work way you think it might, and we'll cover that here in a second. So let's say the spouse that has a $3,000 benefit passes away first. The surviving spouse then gets bumped up all the way to $3,000. So that's definitely a pretty good benefit. Here's a quick example. A ginger's in good health and beliefs based on her family history. She can easily live to age 95. Her mom and dad both died after that age. Therefore, she waits until age 70 to start collecting Social Security. Her PIA is $2,500. If she was born before 1954, then her monthly benefit is 32% higher or $3,300. Born after 59, it's $3,100. And then between 55 and 59, it's somewhere between those numbers. So that's how it works. And right now we're just gonna take a quick break for a sponsor message. And then when we come back, we'll finish off the conversation on why social security is a good, can be a good investment, not necessarily a tax. Get timely updates about taxation, accounting, succession planning, and other issues that are unique to farmers and agribusiness processors. Find out about major agribusiness events and how to comply with new laws that affect your business. Subscribe to Farm CPA at blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness and experience the CLA promise. blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness. Welcome back, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I'm Paul Neefe, your host. We're going to finish our conversation on why Social Security can be a good investment and not necessarily a tax. Uh, the spousal benefit, uh, there's always a lot of confusion on how this is calculated. Uh, what you have to look at is the higher earners full retirement age benefit, their PIA at their full retirement age versus the lower income spouses PIA at their full retirement age. And then the difference between those two numbers is the spousal benefit or the spousal offset, and it gets added to the other spouses retirement benefit whatever it might be so the spousal benefit is going to be per in a way is going to be permanently reduced if the spouse starts collecting before their full retirement age and if they wait to start collecting after their full retirement age they get no extra benefit it's not like you get that extra 32 percent or 24 percent so it, I think it's easier to just show an example. We got Ruth and John, they share the same birth date and were born in 1960. Ruth was the highest earner and has a PIA of 3,000. 
John's PIA is only a thousand. John will receive his thousand dollar benefit. So his benefit plus the spousal benefit of fifteen or five hundred dollars. So there, his final monthly benefit will be fifteen hundred dollars. But now let's look at if John decides to start collecting at age sixty four. His benefit on his record is only now eight hundred dollars. He still collects the assuming that Ruth starts collecting at her full retirement age. Uh, since she's at her full retirement age and John is also at his full retirement age, he can collect the full spousal benefit of $500. So therefore his monthly benefit is now $1,300. See, he's never gonna get bumped up to 50% of Ruth's because he started collecting early. Now, if he and Ruth wait until or if Ruth decides to retire at age 70, but John retires at age 67, John doesn't get any spousal benefit until Ruth retires at age 70. He gets his benefit, <clears throat> excuse me, of $1,000 per month. Now, Ruth's benefit is now $3,720. 50% of this number is 1860. Most farmers assume that John will now receive half of that number, that 1860. However, the spousal benefit is based on the PIA, which is based on your full retirement age. Ruth delaying to 70 doesn't change that spousal benefit of 500 plus his thousand. So John's still gonna receive $1,500 per month. Now they gave up that spousal benefit of $500 per month for Ruth waiting till age 70, but Ruth's benefit went from 3000 up to 3720 and she'll get that the rest of her life, plus inflation, plus John will get stepped up to that number if Ruth passes away first. So what's the risk we're removing? Why are we, why are we concerned about this? Well, a lot of people are now living longer, uh, even though technically the lifespan for the typical American has gone down a little bit. Uh, that's really a result of the pandemic plus the um, you know, the drug crisis, the fentanyl and all that stuff, which is typically killing younger people, but it reduces the the age, the average age that people live in the U.S. However, once you reach age 65, a married couple that each reach age 65, I think actuarially there's about an 85 to 90 percent chance one of you will reach age 90. Uh, so having that higher survivor benefit for the higher income earner to wait till age 70 really has a lot of power. And one of my sayings is Social Security is the only inflation adjusted annuity a person can reasonably pay for during their career backed by the US government. You can currently, as far as we know, you cannot go out and buy an inflation adjusted annuity from an insurance company. You can buy an annuity that says it's going to go up by 3% each year or 5% or 10%, whatever that number might be, but you cannot buy a cost of living adjusted annuity. And again, that inflation risk. Uh, Social Security is not perfect. It really probably doesn't go up by the inflation for most retired people, but it's better than not having any inflation adjustment. And remember, for this year, Social Security recipients received a cost of living adjustment of 8.7%, and likely this year will be three, four, three or four percent, but still they're getting that adjustment. And one of the uh, things I really like about it is it makes that transfer to the next gener generation much easier. 
if the older generation has, let's say, four to $5,000 of monthly Social Security coming in, it's got some rent income from their land, it's much easier to say, okay, son, daughter, they're taking over the farm operation. Hey, we can gift some of that to you. We're gonna make it easy on you um, and make it easy for both generations to have that transfer. Otherwise, it can be a lot more difficult. Now, what if I don't have net earnings? Uh, certainly, uh, after the Tax Cups and Jobs Act from 2017, with the fact that trade in farm equipment now generates taxable income that's not subject to self-employment tax, it can be difficult for some farmers to have a lot of net self-employment earnings. Well, farmers can always elect the optional SE method. And for uh, 2022, that was about $6,000 of earnings for the year. It gives you four quarters of earnings. So once you do this for at least 10 years, you automatically qualify for Social Security. And let's say you still went ahead and did that. Um, it's still less than about half of that first bin point. And if you always did the optional SE method during your career, you'd have a monthly benefit of about $453. Not a large monthly benefit. We definitely want to pay in more than that. And that's why we're also a firm proponent of what we call using a manager manage um, limited liability company for, let's say, a husband and wife operation. It allows us to optimize to make Social Security earnings about anything we want it to be. And finally, we're going to go through some exhibits showing the rates of returns. Uh, you can't see these, but I can verbally tell you what we're looking at. Uh, my first assumption is that a farmer would invest only enough in Social Security to hit the first bend point which in today's dollars is about $13,380. So the farmer started earning that equivalent in 1988 and then went all the way through 2022 and then essentially retired in 2023. Um, for example, 1988 earnings of $4,271 with the index factor back then of 3.133 equals $13,380, which is what we're talking about. So I went through calculated the Social Security tax for each of those years based on those earnings. And then I placed those taxes in a, quote, savings account earning 4% to find out what our after-tax um, after opportunity cost was. And then at the end of those 35 years, we invested it in an annuity that was paying a uh, lifetime annuity for 10, well, not lifetime, but annuity paying for 10, 20, or 30 years. Uh, to try to determine the rate of return. So a 10-year annuity means that you retired at your full retirement age and you live 10 more years, which would be about age 77. 20 years would be 87, 30 years would be 97. And really the difference between 20 and 30 years is not that much, and I'll, I'll fill you in here a little bit. And then if we decided to wait to age 70, I then increase the um, opportunity cost by three years of interest. And the interesting thing is the total cumulative taxes over the last 35 years for this farmer was about $44,000 a year. That's equivalent of about $1,200, $1,300 a year. That's not a lot of money. Even today's environment, that's not a lot of money. The interest earned on that would have been almost the same as $37,000. So that farmer would have invested somewhere between $82,000 and $92,000. Now, what's the result? Even if the farmer only lived for 10 years, 
uh, in assuming, let's say, no spousal benefit lived for 10 years and one of the spouses lived for at least 10 years, this is the minimum. Uh, for a single person, you know, no spouse, they would generate a 7.739% rate of return. If they waited to age 70, they would have generated a 5.3% rate of return. However, if we throw in a spousal benefit, and then throw in inflation, we're up in that 20, yeah, you know, if it's single, you're at 12%. If you have a spouse, full retirement age inflation adjusted, we're talking about 22% rate of return. Now, if we do a 20 year, the rate of return, the minimum rate of return is 13.573%, all the way up to a maximum of about 25%. Now, 30 years, your rate of return goes up less than 1% overall. So the key is that, you know, if, if one of you makes it at least 20 years, you're going to have a very good rate of return. There, there really is hardly any investment out there, maybe invested in Tesla or Google or Microsoft when it first became public and you've held it for 20 years. Even then, the compounding on that is probably not more than 20 percent because 20 percent compounding means your um, investment doubles every three and a half years. And over a 35 year period, that would be a lot of money. Uh, so, you know, very good returns. Now, my second analysis is I said, let's take the second bin point and invest up to that 6,721. Remember in our first bin point, we invested about 44,000. In, in this analysis, we're investing almost six and a half times more than that. We're investing 26,000, or excuse me, $266,000 or roughly we're paying in the equivalent of about oh, seven to $8,000 per year. Then our interest was almost the same. So we're investing about a $500,000 over that 35 years. And how does that investment look? Well, if we only make it 10 years um, and we don't have inflation, we don't have a spouse, we're actually in the hole. Uh, we've lost about 6%, 4%, depending uh, where we're at. And then if we then can go up to 20 years, we're now starting to have a rate of return, you know, maybe a minimum of 3% up to a maximum of 11%. If we go out 30 years, it's a little bit higher, uh, but you know, it's, it's not, it's just not the best return, but it is a good return. It's not as good as the first bin point, but it still has a pretty good rate of return. And then finally, I said, hey, what if we invest equivalent of $10,000? The actual $160,200 divided by 12 is closer to like $13,000. But I just said, let's go up to $10,000. Uh, here we're investing about uh, $750,000, a little bit more, a little bit less. And what's our rate of return? Well, we have a huge negative rate of return if we only make it 10 years. Uh, the break even is about 15 years. And then even at 20 years, if we have a spouse and we wait to age 70 and we have inflation adjustment, we're generating about an 8% rate of return. So even if we go way into that, uh, past the second bin point, uh, as long as we live, one of us lives for at least 20 years and we have that full spousal benefit, uh, we're looking at about an 8% rate of return, and that's not a bad rate of return. If we don't have any spousal benefit and we're just single, 
we're still looking at almost a 5% rate of return over 20 years. Over 30 years, it becomes about a 7% rate of return. So that's still a decent rate of return. So for me, the bottom line is I, I think farmers should change their mindset a little bit and try to view paying into Social Security as being really more of an investment, not necessarily a tax. Uh, I know early on we, we sort of get hung up on the fact that we're paying in a lot of Social Security. Well, we can plan around that and get your Social Security costs down, but let's don't, and let's don't eliminate Social Security. I have too many farmers that will come to me in their late 50s, early 60s, and they'll say, Paul, hey, I want to pay a lot more into Social Security so that I can really bump up my retirement benefit. And we do the calculations and it's almost too late, you know, because the wage base doesn't allow them to pay in a whole lot more Social Security. Now, we know that starting in around 2032, 2033, 10 years from now, that if Congress doesn't make any changes, that Social Security will have a cut. It's not running out of money. It just means the amount of money coming in is less than the amount of money going out. If they make no changes at all, these numbers will go down by about a 24% haircut. But we know politically that's not going to happen. Uh, likely for younger people, people maybe in their 20s and 30s and early 40s, uh, they'll probably see the retirement age go up. Maybe there might be a means testing and potentially more earnings will be subject to uh, FICA tax. Uh, but again, that really doesn't change the analysis that we're doing. Um, if, if there's a high income earner adjustment, well, the, the income that we're showing here is likely going to be lower than that adjustment. If the full retirement age is gonna be delayed by a year or two, uh, that would change the bottom line a little bit. But due to the fact that we get inflation adjustments backed by the federal government, we get an extra uh, spousal benefit, and we get that higher of the two survivor benefit, I really believe that for most farmers, let's view Social Security as a good investment, let's optimize the number, and let's plan accordingly. So again, this is the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. And this is Paul Neefer, your host, signing off.